there are a few activities in American culture that I think are, I don't know, they rise to the level of great American pastimes. I'd call watching football as one of those. Thanksgiving is definitely a great American pastime. Watching football at Thanksgiving is uniquely American. But, you know, I think there's one activity that surpasses everything else if you were to try to quantify the greatest American pastime. And uh, it is the quintessential great American pastime, and it is complaining about the government. You know, I, I think um, if you think about it, Thanksgiving comes once a year. Football season only happens at a certain time of the year. But uh, complaining about the government, it's a nonstop activity, right? I mean, every season is a season to gripe about our politicians. And every day is a good day to complain about the government, right? You know, some, uh, if you think about some of the other things, if you were to compare Thanksgiving and football to the government, um, well, they have some commonalities there. For example... Even though Thanksgiving has its roots in the Christian faith, you don't have to be a Christian to participate in Thanksgiving. And uh, even though football has a lot of weird rules, you, you don't have to be a football fan to enjoy the game. You know, yay, he scored a run. What do you mean it didn't count? Dez caught the ball. You know, so. Um, but complaining about the government. It's a sport that anybody can enjoy. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a gun-loving, constitution-carrying, God-fearing Republican who believes that Jesus was an American, or if you're a climate change-believing, socialism-embracing, pride-supporting Democrat that believes that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is Jesus herself, or anything in between. You, too, can participate in this great American pastime of complaining about the government. We live in a country that uh, gives us the freedom of, of speech, the freedom even, even together with like-minded people and complain together about the government. Um, we have the right in our system of government in our country to gripe about the very government that protects our freedom to gripe about it. And we should recognize just how blessed we are compared to most of the rest of the world. But, you know, as Christ followers, as Christ followers, we have a unique responsibility. Everyone else in our country can complain without restraint. But we who follow Christ, we must strive to a higher standard. Our standard was established by the Lord Jesus himself and expanded upon by his apostles, including the Apostle Paul. And at one point in Paul's ministry, as you know, he was writing a letter to Christians who lived in the capital city of the entire Roman Empire. They lived right there in Rome. And people back then were the same as people today. People have a tendency to complain about their government, maybe even resist the government, fight against the government from time to time. That's been known to happen in history. And so here's the question that Paul wants to address. How should a Christian respond 
to the government. In a word, submission. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 13. If you have a Bible, access to a Bible, turn to Romans 13. We're going look at we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. We're in the series called Romans Mercy to All. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible and you're invited to follow along in your Bible. The verses will also appear on the screens behind me. And if you found Romans chapter 13, I ask you to stand with me please in honor of the reading of God's word. Romans 13, 1 through 7, I'll read aloud. Scripture says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. Not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd show us the wisdom in submitting to our government today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is not a popular message because of our tendency to complain rather than to submit. But Paul begins at the very very first verse, and he gives us the big picture. He says every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. This is the broad principle. This is the overarching idea. This, this is the attitude, the main attitude that you need to have in mind when you think about how you are to relate to the government that rules over you. Submission. Submission. Let's look closer at this. Verse 1 does not say obedience. It says submission. Subjugation. Okay? Subjection. Submission, the idea of submission is a stronger word than obedience. Obedience and submission are not exactly the same thing. Submission is an attitude that results in obedience. You know, you can obey and have a bad attitude about it. You ever hear someone say, I'll eat my vegetables, but I won't like it. Do you know why the Bible tells young children to obey? It never says to young children to submit. It tells them to obey their parents. Because young children don't have the capacity to control their attitudes like adults do. They do have the capacity to control their actions. And so they're told to obey. We are told to submit to the government. Submission is obedience with a willing 
attitude. And so as, as grown-ups who follow Christ, and, I, and I'm assuming that you're grown-up in your emotions, as grown-ups who follow Christ, we're called not only to obey our government, but to have a submissive attitude. That means even if we disagree with our government, we are respectful in our tone. We are cautious with our words. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like Donald Trump. Some people don't like the way he, he treats others that he don't, doesn't like. Some people don't like his policies. Some people don't like his Brooklyn mannerisms and equivocations. But Donald Trump is President Trump. He is President Trump. He is our president. And Barack Obama was President Obama. Didn't hear as many amens there. Which tells me that this message is needed. Because I cannot guarantee to you, I cannot guarantee you that you will always get who you want running this country. Okay? We don't know what's going to happen next year or four years down after that. We don't know. But whoever the president is, we are to submit to him or her. We are to be respectful. You see, as followers of Christ, we're the ones that Paul has written about in Romans 12. We're the ones that have received the mercies of God. All of those mercies that Paul talks about in Romans 1 through 11, we're the recipients of all of that forgiveness, all of that grace. We, we are the ones that daily, Paul says in Romans 12, are to present our bodies as offerings to God. Therefore, one of the ways that plays out is that we must respect and submit to the governing authorities in our lives. We have to submit in our attitudes, our words, and our actions, even our Facebook posts. There are far too many people, I think, who are claiming the name of Christ who have yet to learn what true submission to governing authorities is. It may be time for some of us to not just obey the government, but to grow up and submit to the government. Look at verse 1 again, the first phrase again. It says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. The word governing indicates superiority. Governing authorities, whether you like them or not, governing authorities are in a position superior to your own. Let me give you a couple of scriptures where that same word governing is used, but it's usually translated a little differently. Okay? Philippians 2.3 says that we should consider other people as better than ourselves, superior to ourselves. Same word. Philippians 4.7 says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. It's greater. It's superior. Same word. So the people who are, on, who are in positions of power in our government, they surpass you. They are greater than you. They might not be more intelligent than you. They might not be more wise than you. 
but by virtue of the office they hold, they are higher than you. And we are to submit to them. And you might say, well, you know, but this leader, that leader, they're morally bankrupt. So-and-so's incompetent. Such-and-such makes a bad decision here and there. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that we're the first Christians in history who've had to deal with bad rulers? Of course not. I mean, I've heard some Christians say, well, okay, but way back then, you know, with King George and way back in Paul's day and everything else, it's a little bit different now compared to way back then because now we have a representative democracy. We, the people, are the authority over our representatives, and that's true. That's true. We, the people, have authority when we gather to vote for our representatives. And we, the people, have the authority to call for a constitutional convention to change all the rules. But just because you individually are a member of we, the people, you individually do not have the right to disregard the laws that we, the people, have agreed to. Nor should you individually fail to submit in attitude and action to those that we, the people, have placed in authority over you. And so the principle of submitting to your governing authorities, it's the same principle now as it was to the Romans that Paul was writing to. And he was telling them to submit to Emperor Nero. Let me give you some background about Nero. Way back in A.D. 49, the Roman emperor at that time was a guy by the name of Claudius. and He expelled all prominent Jews from the capital city of Rome. Five years later, in A.D. 54, Claudius was murdered by his wife, Agrippina. Now, why would Agrippina murder her uncle Claudius? Wait, did I just make a mistake? I thought that, I thought that Agrippina was Claudius' wife. She was, and he was her uncle too. You thought that our leaders were bankrupt morally. Agrippina murdered her, or excuse me, married her uncle Claudius and then later murdered the guy. Why did Agrippina kill Claudius? Because she had a 16-year-old son named Nero that she wanted to be emperor. So that's how it all played out. Now immediately in AD 54, 16-year-old Nero became emperor of Rome. And immediately he allowed all the Jews all the prominent Jews, to return to Rome. Everything was peaceful and calm. Not just in Rome, but it was calm throughout the entire Roman Empire. And by the way, the peace that Nero brought was different than the peace that Emperor Augustus brought. You remember Emperor Augustus? He was the emperor when Jesus was born. Okay. Now, Emperor Augustus, he achieved peace through what was called the Pax Romana. It was peace at the end of a sword. Anyone or any group of people or any state under Roman control that failed to keep the peace would be absolutely wiped out by the Roman army. 
It was basically, be at peace or I'll kill you. That's what that kind of peace was. And certainly that's one way to do it. Well, the peace of Nero's reign was different. Nero kept the peace by restraining the use of force of his government. He had a mentor that wrote a speech for him, and Nero gave this speech. And this is a part of what he said in his speech. He said, I am the arbiter of life and death for the nations. All those many thousands of swords which my peace restrains will be drawn at my nod. What nation shall be utterly destroyed, which banished this is mine to decree. With all things thus at my disposal, I have been moved neither by anger nor youthful impulse to unjust punishment. With me the sword is hidden. No, it is sheathed. I am sparing even the meanest blood. No man fails to find favor at my hands, though he lack all else but the name of man. A little bit different picture of Nero than what happened later. And it was in this political environment, one of a restrained government, that Paul wrote the book that we call Romans. And when he writes of the relationship between us and those who govern over us, Paul wants us essentially to do this. Be quiet. Be non-resistant. And even pacify the government by paying your taxes, doing your civil duties, and living at peace with your neighbors. Is that too much to ask, Paul says. You see, for Paul... Roman officials from Nero all the way down, all of them are servants of God, even if they don't realize it. And they certainly didn't realize it. In fact, what Paul says here in Romans 13 would have been great offense to Nero. That there is an authority even over the emperor named God. That Nero, the Roman emperor who thought he was a god himself, should have to submit to the Jewish God? Nero would not have liked that. However, it's the truth. And so Paul explains that. For Paul, from Nero all the way down, every single Roman official is a servant of God. And for us, from Donald Trump all the way down to dog catcher, they are servants of God, even if they don't realize it. None are perfect. None of them are perfect, yet submission must be given to all. For when we submit to a servant of God, we are submitting ultimately to God himself. And that is reason number one to submit to governing authorities. You are submitting to God. Look at the rest of verse one. Paul writes, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Question, does this include bad authorities? I mean, should we submit to governing officials that do bad things? Here's the answer. As long as the things they do are within their authority to do, to do the answer is yes. As long as it's within their authority, 
then yes, we are to submit to them. Let me show you why this is true. And why it's not true that if someone is immoral, we can just disregard them because they might be an authority over us or not. When Jesus was arrested, he stood trial before Pilate, the governor of Judea. Pilate eventually had Jesus scourged, beaten with a whip that contained probably bits of stone and glass and bone, and it ripped Jesus' flesh off his back. And the the soldiers twisted together a a crown of thorns and jammed it onto Jesus' head. And then he was brought back before Pilate a second time. Before the whole ordeal was over, Pilate would say three separate times that Jesus was innocent. He said it three separate times. Once before the scourging and twice after. So here we have the man Jesus not only innocent in the eyes of outside observers, but innocent in the eyes of the court itself. This innocent man is tortured. This innocent man is publicly humiliated. The actions of the court are inhumane. The actions of the court are, in, are immoral. But Jesus has no legal rights. In other words, the court has the authority to do those immoral, unjust things. And so as Pilate tells the crowd that he could find no fault in Jesus, the crowd begins to become unruly. And according to John 19, they cried out, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, afraid of the crowd. And so he entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, do you not speak to me? Listen to the next question, Pilate says. It's very instructive. Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Listen to how Jesus answered. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Did you catch that? Jesus affirmed Pilate's authority over him. Even the authority to act immorally, even the authority to act unjustly, even the authority to carry out capital punishment against an innocent man, Is that right? No. Was it just? No. That's not the question. The question was, and is, was it under the purview of Pilate's authority? Yes. Pilate himself was under the authority of the emperor, and both the emperor and Pilate had the authority to keep the peace, even if it meant crucifying an innocent man. And so so Jesus submitted to the authority of Pilate. Now, of course, he did remind Pilate that it was God himself that put Pilate in that position. But Jesus submitted to the authority of this wicked man, Pilate. You see, God has a sovereign plan, and he has placed certain people in positions of authority 
And so when the, quote, wrong people win elections and the wrong people hold government office, they are in authority over others, and we must submit to them. You see, when you shake your fist at them, you're shaking your fist at God. Well, so the question is, how do I voice displeasure you know, over some of the bad decisions that they make? Here's how. Respectfully, cautiously, wisely, and when possible, do it personally. Write them a letter, phone call, an email, but you tell them personally that you think there might be a better way than whatever they are considering or whatever they have done. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Here's reason number two to submit to governing authorities. You won't be punished. If you submit, you won't be punished. Disobeying the authority of governing officials, it's a real easy way to punish yourself. I mean, I don't know why you would want to draw attention to yourself and the very people that hold the power to make your life miserable. But verse 2 also indicates that if we read it carefully, it seems that God himself will be against those that refuse to submit to authority. There's a third reason to submit to governing authorities. You won't have to fear them. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. I need you to remember, we live in such a wonderful, wonderful country. We've got our problems. We've got some big problems. But compared to the history of the rest of the world, our problems are minuscule. Okay? Um, I, need, I need you to remember the power of government. All governments everywhere have the power of the sword. And whether we're talking about the power to enact capital punishment or incarceration or inducing physical pain or levying fines, it would do us good to remember the vastness of the power of a government. You see, every government in the history of mankind is either a massive group of people or it is a select few that has the power to control a massive group of people. That's a lot of power. That means that every government, unless it is self-restrained, has the power to take your house, the power to separate you from your children, the power to imprison you, the power to kill you. Every government has that power. You are not more powerful than a massive group of people who are organized against you. You're just not. It's an incredible amount of power that every government has. In our country, we are so blessed to have had founding fathers who saw the scope of the power of government and they sought to create a system that would limit that power by a couple of different means. They gave different powers to separate branches of government and then they told these separate branches of government to perform checks 
of power on each other. Checks and balances. And four years after the U.S. Constitution was ratified, ten fundamental human rights were added to it, including the often ignored Tenth Amendment. And it serves as an additional limitation on the power of government because it reserves to the states and the people any power that is not expressly granted to the federal government in the Constitution. And so the design of our founding fathers was to take this incredible power of government and to diffuse it, to separate it, to make it smaller, to make it less likely that it would come up against the, its own citizens that it should protect. The problem with government is that humans govern. Humans make mistakes. Humans sometimes are very corrupt. And powerful humans, well, they make powerful mistakes. And powerful humans that are corrupt are powerfully corrupt. Yet in spite of all the potential for mistakes or corruption, we must submit to the government. The alternative is anarchy, which we don't want. Verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Here's reason number four to submit to governing authorities. You'll maintain a clear conscience. And, and this is simple enough to understand. If you do bad things, you do illegal things, well, your conscience starts to bug you. And here's a question that always comes up. Well, what if the government tells me to disobey God? Well, Paul doesn't address that here. Other scriptures do. And it's very clear. Here's the big picture. Number one, honor God above all else even human institutions. Number two, submit to governing authority since God put them in their positions. And number three, when it's impossible to honor God and submit to governing authorities, then you obey God and be willing to suffer the consequences. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested. Why? They preached Jesus. They preached that he was raised from the dead. And so the high priest and other Governing officials were there, and they made a decision what to do with them. Acts 4 says in verse 18, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is a clear case of civil disobedience. They looked the governing officials in the eye, and they said, Sorry, we cannot obey you in this instance. We respect you, cannot obey you. You're telling us to disobey God. That's out of bounds. And so if you're ever going to practice civil disobedience, make sure that you're in the right, number one, and make sure that you're willing to suffer the consequences. You have to be willing to suffer the consequences. Otherwise, it's not civil disobedience. Rosa Parks did not sit at the front of the bus and then when the police showed up, ran away. Okay. That would not be civil disobedience. That would just be committing a crime. Okay, She was willing to suffer the consequences. The vast majority of the time, we, we really don't have to worry about civil disobedience. What we have to focus on is the main thing, which is submitting to the government, but we have civil disobedience in our back pocket if we ever need to use it. 
verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. You know, I believe that taxes are too high. I believe that the government pays for a lot of stuff that is outside the realm of a proper government. I believe the entire system of taxing people based on their income is corrupt. It's immoral and harmful economically. But you know what else? It doesn't matter what I believe. I need to pay my taxes. And so do you. So, find a real good CPA that can save you a lot of money and pay your taxes. You just have to do it. It's your Christian duty to pay your taxes. Verse 7. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. You know what verse 7 implies? It implies that we owe governing authorities a lot. You just do. No one likes the IRS tax man who calls you to give an account for yourself. But you got to pay the man. No one likes the city code enforcement man who tells you how to live. But you've got to obey the man. No one likes the police officer that gives you a ticket or arrests you. But you need to honor the man and respect the man. And nobody, absolutely nobody, likes the politician who we could probably justly say has a tendency to represent himself a lot more than he represents us. But you have to honor the man. He's in that position over us. You know, in this last verse, verse 7, the Apostle Paul is essentially quoting Jesus. Jesus was questioned about paying a tax to Caesar. And he was questioned by a bunch of people that wanted to just sort of trap him in his answer. And Jesus responded to his inquisitors to look at a coin. Look at a coin. Look at, it's called a denarius. Look at a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this on the denarius? Who is that on the denarius, on that coin? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God's. Now we all know the point that Jesus was making. Pay your taxes, it's what you owe. But Jesus made that another point in that final statement. Render to God the things that are God's. You see, Caesar is owed that thing that contains his image. He's owed that coin. And God is owed that thing which contains his image. Where do we find the image of God? In us. Give to Caesar your taxes. And Jesus was saying, give to God you. Give to God you.
If you show me a Christian who cannot submit to the government, I will show you a Christian who cannot submit to God. Submitting to the government is rather easy compared to submitting to God. Because what does the government require? A little bit of money? What is it God requires? All of your love and all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. That's what God requires. Give yourself to God.